0: What a week it has been. Ice, snow, storm, tree falls, extensive damage, huge business losses, injuries, and tragically death. The storm saw the cathedral and its ministries closed and gave many of us The terrifying experience of sitting in the cold and dark wondering if the roof was going to blow off or if a tree was going to fall on our homes. The very things that we don't think about very much loomed large in our consciousness and in our helpless condition. It seemed natural to pray and to hope that God would see us through, that mourning would break, the power returns, and we would be returned to our sense of complacency. (laughs) We were reminded in a very powerful way of how weak and small and helpless we really are and that we live day by day in grace. Without our usual supports, our titles, our homes, and addresses, the decor, the food in the refrigerator, the evidence of lives well lived. What are we? And yet, in the midst of all these calamities, we found points of light. We saw the demands of the gospel illustrated before our eyes. The caring soul whose neighborhood had lost power for days, who made soup for all his neighbors because he had a gas stove. People whose homes were destroyed were welcomed by their friends. Strangers stopped to help when cars were stopped. And a young woman, Maya Washington, risked her life, to save a nine-month-old baby when she saw members of his family electrocuted. And then there were the multiple phone calls and messages of support that said, I am thinking of you, are you okay? But it's not just natural calamities that threaten us. It's also the failure of institutions and the people in whom we put our trust. Untruth is so prevalent that it is rarely challenged, and at times it appears that a collective insanity has descended on all of us. All that we worked for, the values we thought were shared, the secure future we thought we had, are all open questions now. Where do we turn? Well, it turns out that only under such conditions are we more open to the possibility of miracles and only when filled with dread, the threat of impending disaster or the fear of the unknown, it is then that the settled nature of our faith with its sometimes trite expressions and sometimes stale practice suddenly becomes alive again, refreshed and reset to truly understand the meaning of God's work in Christ and grace and communion. On this third Sunday after Epiphany, today's texts resonate. The first from the city of Nineveh or Mosul in Iraq, heard a message of doom from Jonah or Yunus the prophet, who gave them an ultimatum of 40 days before they were destroyed. He walked through the city that may have had a population of 120,000 to deliver a very specific message of destruction. What might this destruction have looked like? We don't know. Was it a military invasion? I think it could have been the self-destruction wrought by a society that is atomized, individualistic and therefore unsustainable, falling prey to dissent, internal and external threat and eventual collapse because of the failure to see that without care for our neighbor, Nobody survives. But then after the delivery of the message was complete, Jonah received a message that described the good news of a divine change of mind. Destruction was averted because of the collective action of people. They refocused their attention from their day-to-day affairs and together sought God. They fasted, they wore sackcloth, both the great and the small, and they turned from their evil ways, or in other words, they made the dramatic shift from lives centered on self to lives centered on others and therefore centered on God. That collective human action can cause Almighty God to have compassion is a conclusion that brings us an abundance of hope. God's mind can be changed when people act together, giving up their individual preoccupations to focus on collective action. Or as Martin Luther King Jr. said in his incomparable words, all life is interrelated and we are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of identity whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly for some strange reason I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. The psalm for today tells us that God's might and power make the high and mighty seem like fleeting breath. The low are untrustworthy and on scales they are all lighter than a breath. What a dismissive image to describe human pride and self-importance, whether arising from astronomical wealth or unbridled political power. And then our epistle lesson builds on this theme of moving away from our preoccupations and petty plots and self-serving little plans. Paul says the time we are living through and all times have the same characteristic. The time we are living through demands that we recognize something more important than our sorrows and joys, spousal relationships, business dealings or any interaction with the world. It is the insight that all we take as permanent and enduring in our institutions is not as stable as we would believe. To not recognize that the world is fleeting and changing is to fall prey to dire conditions, such as those described in 2 Timothy. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unfeeling, implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the outward form of holiness but denying its power we are to expect an inversion of what we think is unchangeable the present form of the world will pass away that is its permanent condition passing away paul may not have been aware that in the two decades following his writing to the corinthians a jewish revolt would be crushed the temple destroyed the people scattered all over the region and beyond. There was no exaggeration then in Paul's plea to remember that the human world contains nothing that endures. It is only God who is infinite and eternal and it is only in God that we find abiding fulfillment. Thus the gospel reading reminds us we are to be ready to leave whatever we are doing to follow in the path towards which Christ directs us. Simon and Andrew, James and John, these siblings who abandoned their father and families and occupations to follow on this new path, recognized the call of Christ to be transformational, fulfilling, irresistible, and superior, To every other kind of human experience. Their response began with having to give up what they previously believed to be their mission in order to follow Christ. In this mission of ultimacy, the kingdom of God is near repent and believe in the good news. The idea of repentance is usually construed to mean an expression of remorse, or contrition with a vague understanding that one has to do better the next time. But in keeping with the point we have noticed through all our readings this morning, we can see this is not comprehensive enough and understanding it does not explain why the disciples left everything to follow Jesus. It is much more meaningful to think that to repent is to experience a cataclysmic, psychological, emotional, and intellectual transformation. It is an epic event that changes all assumptions about one's life and possibilities. As Richard Ruhr puts it in Jesus, we suddenly have a God who is anything but a police officer. This God finds grace. For those who break the law and finds life and freedom among the lepers and those who do not have good manners. This is now an upside-down universe, a divine revolution which through an inner life of prayer and an outer life of service to others can be in union with both the pain of the world and the love of God. Then we can truly receive the word of the Lord seeing it from the perspective of powerlessness and suffering instead of the side of power and control. Now we can understand the nonviolence of Martin Luther King and experience <coughs> excuse me. his kind of epic Conversion, following an old way of life dependent on the feebleness of human imagination and the frailty of human institutions is no longer an option when confronted by the call of Christ. The novelist Graham Greene once remarked that the biggest problem of our age lies in the fact that we have lost the ability to see and to believe in miracles and their meaning because we have put human agency and human aspirations first. He said that leaving out the miraculous was akin to leaving out the ordinary in our lives as ordinary as breakfast. Miracles serve as a unique witness for those who find themselves on the edge of faith. But, we can accept the mystery of God as surpassing the reach of our understanding, our capacity for reason, and our nature as social beings drawn to community are magnified with this transcendent relationship with ultimate being. Therefore, we can find true expression, and true fulfillment only in self-giving. Made in God's image and sharing in God's nature, we seek Christ in all. Because like us, all human beings bear the face of Christ, however well concealed or scarred by the wounds the world inflicts. This is the repentance to which we are called, and our hope and our inspiration in the celebration of the Eucharist. It is this experience that breaks through our own wounds in a great joy that becomes visible to the whole world. We encounter miracle and joy in many places, in music, in stories, of the sharing of meager resources in the spontaneous expressions of children and in the love we find in each other. This is the ongoing miracle to which we might be open, lifting us out of the ordinary and predictable into an intensity of divine experience greater than a winter storm. Amen.